Our uh, first scripture reading of the morning is from the book of 1 Peter, a short passage from uh, chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that, free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our scene uh, today begins at the cross. Jesus is being crucified. Crucifixion was an excruciating, brutal form of torture that ultimately led to the person's death. In fact, the very word excruciating in the Latin means from the cross. Jesus has been unjustly sentenced to die. He's been mocked, spit upon, beaten, bloodied, and his garments callously gambled for. He has suffered an incredible amount of emotional and physical pain. And yet we hear the mission and character of Jesus Christ in his seven sayings from the cross, which we're going to be looking at all throughout the season of Lent and specifically in his 12 short words this morning. And so I would invite you to join me as we look at the first of Jesus' sayings from the cross, which comes to us from Luke's Gospel, the 23rd chapter, verses 32 through 38. I invite you to follow along on the screen. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, meaning Jesus. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And once again, would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, as we look at these words of Jesus this morning, we pray that they would not just be mere words on a page, but that they would come alive in our lives so that we might recognize the depth of the love that you have for us in your forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, that it would captivate us to also forgive others when we've been hurt. Bless our time together. Open our hearts and minds to receive your word so that we might be changed by it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So think about it for just a moment. All of Jesus' humiliation and shame, dying on the cross, 
he says these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In those hours on the cross of physical, emotional, mental, spiritual pain and suffering, Jesus, of all things, sought to overcome evil with good. It's sort of unfathomable that although crucified by hate, Jesus speaks words of love and forgiveness from the cross that stretch 2,000 years to you and me sitting here in this room today. It kind of really is difficult for us to fully comprehend it because don't we know from previous experiences that when we've been hurt, it's hard, it's really hard to have to forgive just not in our nature, even though the consequences can be really dangerous. It was the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche who said, be careful, lest than fighting the dragon, you become the dragon. On the cross, Jesus fought the dragon. He beat back the demons of hell, and he did not let it contaminate him on the inside. You heard me read earlier from 1 Peter. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself fully to the one who judges justly. Peter, in this scripture, is highlighting a kind of restraint that most of us would probably find unimaginable. After all, it's in our nature to want to get even. It's in our nature to want to retaliate. It's in our nature to want to strike back when we've been struck, to lash out whenever we've been hurt. How do we know this? Because we've all been there. When someone speaks ill of you, when someone cuts you off in traffic, when someone cheats you out of something that is rightfully yours, when someone embarrasses you in front of others, when someone breaks your heart. Isn't one of our first instincts this burning desire to cause as much hurt to the other person, if not more, than the hurt that they have caused us? It was at the height of the civil rights battle that Martin Luther King Jr. said this, let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic height of meeting physical force with soul force, S-O-U-L force. On the cross, Jesus met physical force with soul force as he forgave and he granted blessing grace, and favor to all. One of the things in Jesus' words is that this world is broken by sin. So, who's responsible? Jesus says, Father, forgive them. In order for us to better understand who the them is, we need to see ourselves as the Roman soldiers who are pounding the nails into Jesus' hands and feet and then offering him sour wine. We need to see ourselves as Caiaphas, the high priest, who's manipulating the trial of Jesus behind the scenes. 
We need to see ourselves as Pontius Pilate, who indifferently washes his hands of the whole bloody mess. We need to see ourselves as the mob of people who are mocking Jesus, hurling insults at him. This dying man who did nothing wrong. We need to see ourselves as the disciples, Judas who betrayed him, Peter who denied him, and all the other disciples who ran away because they were afraid. We need to be able to see ourselves as the them that Jesus speaks of when he says, Father, forgive them. Years earlier, the prophet Isaiah said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. The Christian writer G.K. Chesterton once wrote a letter to a magazine in which he said, as to your question, what's wrong with the world? I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. My friends, there's just no way around it. The them is us. Now, there are also people who have hurt us, people who have failed us, people who have rejected us, and we just feel like we can't get past it to forgive them. And they, too, are the them that Jesus speaks for as well. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I think the feeling that most of us have is that when we forgive, we are going above and beyond the call of duty. If I'm driving the car late at night in these country roads, and there's a car coming toward me, and it has its high beams on, and instead of flashing mine, I just leave it alone, I have to tell you when I do that, I am so proud of myself. That, that's me, St. John of Drewmore. <laughs> Jesus doesn't want us to have that kind of attitude as his followers. You see, forgiveness is not some kind of optional extra credit for us as Christians. It's an essential part of how we are to live our lives. And so when Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, He's saying, you know, even the people who don't know that they're doing anything wrong, they still need the forgiveness of the Father. What's kind of surprising to me is that Jesus sort of declares unilateral forgiveness for everyone, even though no one even asked for it. When we look carefully at the scripture reading in Luke, nothing in this passage ever mentions anyone asking for forgiveness. No apologies. There's no confession of any wrongdoing. There's no repentance of sins. Jesus says to God the Father, please forgive those people who don't even know they're doing anything wrong and they haven't even repented of their sins. And to that I say, wow, what a word of hope for you and me. Imagine that before we ever even utter a word, the Lord is turned toward us. He's ready to forgive the sins that we aren't even aware of yet. So the picture that I want you to have in your mind is that sin is this kind of moral barrier between God and us. And for God the Father to forgive us is sort of like God sticking his hand through that moral divide, reaching out to you and me, and in essence saying, I desire a relationship with you.
And that hand extended is the loving forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And that hand that is extended is even before, even before we recognize that we've done anything wrong. Before we ever repented, before we ever turned back to God, God took the initiative. God came to us before we could ever come to him. Now, one of the things that's sort of tricky about forgiveness is that it does need to be received. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church to not accept the grace of God in vain. Well, back in 1830, there was a man by the name of George Wilson. He was charged with murdering a government employee while he was in the act of robbing the United States Mail Service. He was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death by hanging. Well, at the last minute, President Andrew Jackson stepped in and issued him a pardon. But then George Wilson did a very strange thing. He refused the president's pardon. Well, nobody quite knew what to do about that, and so the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And finally, Chief Justice Marshall ruled on the motion, and he wrote in his opinion from the bench these words, a pardon, he said, is a slip of paper the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. And so he was. Forgiveness needs to be received, embraced, and accepted. Otherwise, it's just this strand of meaningless words that are empty and hollow or just dry ink on a piece of paper. Someone once said, the only unpardonable sin is the stubborn refusal to be pardoned. What I hear in Jesus' cry from the cross is that no one is a lost cause. Oh, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of lost people out there. But no one is a lost cause. No one is beyond the grace of God. If they are open to receiving and embracing the truth of his forgiveness. No sin is unforgivable by God if the sinner desires freedom and new life in Jesus Christ. I heard the story of a woman who experienced a lot of trauma, especially when her marriage ended in divorce. She was the granddaughter of, get this, a Baptist minister, and she admired her grandfather very much, and he was the one who had performed her wedding ceremony. And out of embarrassment and fear and guilt, she avoided him and all the rest of the family, especially during that long, painful ordeal. Well, finally, it came the day that she was definitely not looking forward to, a family reunion. She went to that family reunion very reluctantly and with great hesitation, and she expected to be ridiculed or lectured or even worse, just ignored. And she describes what it was like to go to that reunion, to have that family encounter, and then what it was like for her to meet up with her grandfather. This is what she writes. I remember starting to walk up a long grassy hill to where he stood. When he saw me, immediately he started down the hill toward me. And before I could think of anything adequate to say, he hugged me. And he said, you know, I've been thinking, what did I say wrong at your wedding? 
All at once, I dissolved into tears in his arms, and after I composed myself, I looked into his wet-eyed face. We didn't say anything. I didn't say anything to him, and he didn't say anything to me. Instead, he slipped his arm around my shoulders, and we walked back up the hill, back into the family. My friends, the degree to which you could envision God forgiving you is exactly your capacity to forgive other people. So to envision God's forgiveness, see a man on a cross, bloodied, beaten, and dying for you and me, and yet without one iota of resentment, hear him whisper those words, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. What we discover through Jesus Christ's act of forgiveness is, not, is that forgiveness is not a way for us to avoid pain, but it is for the purposes to heal the pain of our past so that you and I are set free to stand before a loving and forgiving God who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Oh, gracious and loving God, we thank you for these powerful words you spoke from the cross long ago to forgive us and what that means for us to be free from the shackles of sin and death. Lord, teach each of us to forgive others as fully and as freely as we have been forgiven by you. And we pray all these things in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. Amen.